Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. everybody uh before we get started we have some stuff to tell you we do as is often the case we have some news um first an update many of you know this already uh but we're telling all of you here today an update on our live events this summer after a lot of thinking and talking and considering between us and the wonderful venues that we're working with in chicago and new york city we've decided to cancel both our live taping in chicago scheduled for july 12th at sleeping village and our third annual prom scheduled for july 31st and August 1st at Brooklyn's Bell House. We know that life has been like super topsy-turvy and really scary and overwhelming and just generally a lot. Um, and we don't at all want to make you sad or or ourselves, uh, but we want to keep everybody safe. And um, we know that there are ways that we can gather in a safe way while we wait for things to get safer for us to gather. And, and please know that the minute uh, as we monitor this, the minute that we can safely do that, we are going to be back in your cities and we're going to be back in each other's arms, uh, doing the things that we do best as our Scooby community. Yes. And since we cannot currently gather physically, we will instead be transforming into ghosts. We will instead be exiting this cursed uh fleshy mortal <laughs> existence and ascending into no we will be instead gathering for our very first live streamed live recording of an episode together with you on zoom if you please and we hope you will join us we'll be taping our episode for season five episode 20 spiral yeah. you'll be able to see and hear Kristen and me and perhaps a special guest while we record the podcast and you'll be able to type to each other in the chat bar it's gonna rule it's like a regular taping but then you can also talk to each other while it's happening which is kind of sweet yeah, it's pretty it's fun. kind of extra cozy um <laughs> this is gonna be happening Saturday June 20th in the year 2020 <laughs> At 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, uh, what is that like? 9 p.m. in London, jolly old London. Tickets are available at bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash Zoom. <laughs> Two O's in Zoom, despite Jenny's emphasis on the O's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Zoom. Zoom. Z-O-O-M. <laughs> it's not like a mountain in the middle. <laughs> Uh, we're very excited. A lot of you um, are already have already gotten your tickets and are super excited, especially people who like maybe never would have been able to see a live taping before. Uh, I know actually, Jenny, that the time in Australia is going to be 530 in the morning because I've seen some of our Australian listeners saying, I bought my tickets. I'm getting up at 530 in the morning to watch this Yo, live taping. Um, so that rocks. Bless all of you. And I just want to say one thing. I like I know we talk about this community so much and how wonderful you all are. But of course, we put these tickets up. And of course, the first two questions I got were the same from different people saying, hey, um, I bought a few. I hope that's OK. I just really wanted to give some away to people who can't like afford to get one. <laughs> 
Oh, you guys. Yes, of course, you can give them to other people. Um, and there's sort of new little instructions on how we'll do that. It's going to be the first time we've ever done this. Um, so we're excited and scared. It's going to be so fun. Uh, you, you will see us like you've never seen us before. It's like, you know, Gus and <laughs> Sam and probably Frank are pretty excited because they would have never gotten oh, yeah. to Finally, the spotlight where it belongs. <laughs> uh, so again, bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash Zoom. You can find out uh, all the information you need. Chicago ticket holders and New York City ticket holders, you should have received emails um, Monday or Tuesday from Sleeping Village and the Bell House, respectively, on those refunds and cancellations. But if you need us, you can always reach us at bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com with any of your concerns or your questions. Another thing you can find on our calendar and schedule of events, in case you didn't already know, is our schedule of releasing episodes. We have an extra week off between this and next episode, and we will be back with Season 5, Episode 18, Intervention, a.k.a. Jenny Cries through the whole episode, <laughs> on June 3rd. Between then and now, I'm going to be... Uh, I was trying to think of a very vacation-y thing that would still be quarantine appropriate. I'll just be wearing sunglasses a lot. I've seen photos of people tanning through their windows, sort of like putting half their butt and like put the, putting their like no, butt. No, half and, their butt? Sorry, their whole butt. <laughs> putting half their body. I just got distracted because of their butts. Um, They, they put like their, <laughs> their butt and their legs out the window uh, to, to get sun. Uh, so you could do that, mm. Jenny. Um, sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring up your butt here on this uh, radio podcast. Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> Moving right along to a topic that is not butts. Uh, this Saturday, this freaking Saturday, May 16th, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, we are going to be graduating all together. We are going to be doing a live watch on our Instagram of Buffy's Season 3, Episode 21 and 22, Graduation Days, Parts 1 and 2. We will be there watching with you. It is a way for us to come together and also a way for so many of you who did not get to graduate, uh, to graduate with us. Wear your caps. Frank, how's Frank's cap coming, Jenny? But um, Frank's <laughs> Frank's cap. Oh my god! Of the of the four forty two hundred stitches required uh, to be stitched by my nimble little fingers, I'm about thirty six hundred stitches of the way through. All right. Frank's, uh, uh, homemade. Uh, what's that? Artisanal. Okay. Why don't you uh, move along to the next part of this introduction? <laughs> Also, hey, you completionists, I know you're really concerned about the sexual attention awards and <laughs> the eventual brackets that we'll be running, and we want to make sure all episodes are represented, even somehow the body. So we have uh, gathered among ourselves to decide that Don and Kevin are the winners of the sexual attention awards for the body. Mm -hmm. uh, this is not up for discussion. Thank you for your time. <laughs> Uh, with that, let us please move along into spooky news. Spooky news. Uh, 
Uh, Jenny, this spooky news is, uh, it's coming from, it's not coming from a credited source uh, in terms of being published in an article. It's coming direct from a 911 dispatcher who's part of our listenership. I credit that as a source. And I am, I actually think it's more source worthy than anything. So uh, Natalie writes in as a 911 dispatcher. This is a message that went across the 911 dispatcher boards that Natalie is a part of. So 2020 is getting weirder by the day. This is all, this is the news from the dispatch. A dead man's cell phone called 911 nine times. When doing the voice challenge, press a button once for yes, a button twice for no, still went through. It received immediate and accurate responses confirming address, phone number, and the name of the deceased. We did not know that the owner of the cell phone was deceased until after the call. The only living person on scene stated they had just turned on the cell phone last night for the first time since the owner passed away in attempt to try (gasps) to grab some of the pictures. They had been unsuccessful unlocking the phone and left it on the coffee table when they went to bed. The phone continued (gasps) to call even after both units were on the scene and had the only living person outside speaking with them. The responding units confirmed the phone was inside the residence away from any living person during the time the last few calls were made. Ghosts, they're just like us. (laughs) They can use a phone. Wow, I love that. Talking about nimble fingers, Jenny. There's a ghost with some nimble fingers for you. Didn't even need the Patrick Swayze ghost training to learn how to use that fucking phone. Just picked it right up and beep, beep, boop, called 911. I mean, I'm not ruling out that it was Patrick Swayze doing mischief from beyond the grave. That has been your spooky news. <laughs> it's time for me to remind you about <laughs> It's time for me to remind you about the Patreon Zena Hang coming up on Saturday, March 23rd at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, for which I still have n- <laughs> no concrete details. But I have <laughs> You have one job, one <laughs> just one thing. <laughs> But I have made some progress, and I'll be <laughs> listen. Oh, God. <clears throat> whether whether this will be on Facebook or on another platform, I I will be gathering this week. I will be gathering all the official details. <laughs> well, so you'll have to follow us on social media and Patreon to get those details. Well, <laughs> because be, we won't be... be we won't be back with a podcast until June third. So I Jenny, know, on I our know, June third return, you can let everyone know what happened at your <laughs> how, how well it went, how incredibly, how it was the best event ever. Yeah, I'll I'll be sure to let you know. Uh, I'll be I'll be posting all the details on our Patreon and also in the the secret Facebook group. So, um, so everybody who is. A patron will have access to the info. I'm yes. sorry that I'm uh, such a piece of garbage. Before we roll into the episode, one last thing. Um, we have new hoodies. The back of the hoodies say, why is Jenny? Uh, just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> they say, what the hell? Why are men? Oh, <laughs> uh, They're pretty exciting. They're up in the store. Also, some wow pins. There's other restocked items. There's crop tops. Uh, we're trying to keep them in stock for you. 
people who just are, man, you can't get enough crop tops. Uh, head mm. on over there. Crop buff- my top, you say. Buffering you the vampireslayer.com. Click on shop. And that has been your news updates from your two hosts who are getting more ridiculous by the quarantine moment. Uh, I feel I'm thriving in quarantine. (laughs) I feel like I'm only getting better, like a fine wine in a cellar. (laughs) Let us now move along into our episode. Thank you so much for sticking with us. (laughs) Hooray! And welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, spoiler free. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about how it's completely bananas that we have been making this show for as long as we have and that we will keep making it and that all of you are listening. (laughs) I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. It's like you get to say whatever you want to say right before you get to the end of that little speech, you know? I always have the first word in this podcast. It's Ha-ha. true. It's, it's true. Uh, except for that one time when we switched order because of Buffy and Faith. But that's right. another right, story right. for another day. I am mm-hmm. Kristen Russo. And this week we are talking about Buffy Season 5, Episode 17, Forever. Sorry, it's not a funny episode, but do you know what I'm referencing? What the? <laughs> uh, is it like E.T. or something? No, I think it's like a movie about baseball, uh, little something. Is it like an alien who plays baseball? No, it's a person. It's like a band of boys that play baseball, and the coach is like... Forever. It's like a close-up on his mouth, and it goes really slow. I can't think of the name oh. of the movie. <laughs> Is it The Sandlot? Yeah, The Sandlot. Yeah, The Sandlot. Oh, okay. okay. Wow, wow. We're feeling it here in this week's episode, uh, which is not as joyous as we are right now. But we have to give a little balance, you know, emotional mm-hmm. Balance. Mm-hmm. Um, what you should do is stay tuned at the end of this podcast every other week for an original song written by Jenny. That's you. Uh, recapping hey. the Buffy episode that we're discussing. Uh, and if you haven't yet started listening to our Angel podcast, Angel on Top, hosted by Brittany Ashley and Laura Zach, you should be doing that. You remember Angel. He's that guy who drops by the cemetery in this episode. <laughs> yeah, he does. Oh, I can't wait to get there. Forever was written and directed just for you by Marty Noxon and originally aired on April 17th, 2001. Do you want to know something about that date, Jenny? Sure, hit me. It is Christine Sutherland's birthday. This episode That's aired. fucked up. On <laughs> Christine Sutherland's birthday. Okay. It's also I... three days before 420, so. Okay, yeah. So I'm sure Christine Sutherland needed to partake that 420 to yeah. try to figure out how to sort her character's funeral with her yeah. person's birthday. Very, a lot of, a lot of stuff happening there. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> This is the one, uh, according to IMDb, where, with some help from Spike, Dawn attempts to bring Joyce back 
from the dead. This episode goes pretty much hand in hand with the body, a very different tone. We're a step closer to the Sunnydale that we know, but not quite returned to that place yet. Um, but it is very much the moments after, right? Like these are the these are the days after the body. Yeah. It's interesting that they aired this episode after such a long break. Right? You'd think they would have done this one, then taken the break. But yeah. I'm sure that they have but their reasons. Have their reasons. Uh, let everybody just sort of like deal and breathe for a couple months. Yeah, perhaps they needed a break after creating that episode of Ye- <laughs> Yeah, probably. So this episode starts with... I love this. Buffy is walking through a room that's full of coffins. Yeah. She's and- walking through a funeral home, but not in the usual way and if i may you may we have these beautiful creepy as hell tremolo strings going and the scene is scored like a lot of this episode in a way that those of you who watch horror movies will be familiar it's very very much leaned in the direction of the horror genre when it Mm -hmm. comes to the the score of this episode and I am here to tell you, shame on me for not noticing sooner, but I was watching this episode and I was like, damn, this music is good. It feels different. Why, you may ask? Well, I I do. I I do ask. Well, it turns out that seasons five and six are scored by a guy whose name on the page looks like Thomas Wanker, but he is Austrian, (laughs) so maybe it's Thomas, like, Vonker or something. (laughs) Um, No disrespect. So... This episode and this season, with the exception of The Gift, are all scored by Thomas Wanker, Vonker, not Christoph Beck. Ah. Now, uh, notably, uh, Christoph scores the finale of this season, and The Body, though Thomas has the credit, The Body has no, no score. Oh, wow. Look at you. I Almost was, like you're a musician or something. Yeah, I was really excited to learn that this season's score is coming from somebody else all throughout. I have so many score notes in this right. episode because the score is, is just so powerful and interesting and like done in such a great, great way. And I love how we're like, we're coming back into the world here with, with sonic cues telling us mm-hmm. that, that we are in the middle of, we continue to be in the middle of horror, even though it's yes. a little different than the horror we're used to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love this. I'm so excited for your uh, future score notes. I also, I know that the, that was a very beautiful delivery of very important information, but I'm very excited about you continuing to say wanker vonker because it's just a lovely combination of sounds. <laughs> I feel so rude not knowing the right way to say this guy's name. Um. So, and, and like, on the non-score end of this, the visuals, and there's one in particular that I was like almost fell off of the bed. I watch in a bed now because it's my couch, my bed. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's a whole thing. It's everything. Anyway, yeah. Um, a separate story for a separate time, but I am, was just bowled over by one of the visuals uh, in this episode. But even beginning here, the lights are off. She's in there and the lights are off and it's so like notably shown because when Giles and Dawn and the, you know, Undertaker, is that what you call this guy, uh, come in, they turn the lights on. 
I just finished watching um, all of Six Feet Under probably about six months ago. Mm. And um, I just got like Six Feet Under memories from this, especially this this dude who, listen, this is a funeral home in Sunnydale. So you'd think that the undertaker slash guy who works in the funeral home. Funeral home director? Funeral, Would yes. have his like bedside manner yes. dialed in or something? Right? It speaks of your deep feeling for the deceased. Sir, right? like, I mean, you. I guess he, this guy doesn't have to do much to keep a job in Sunnydale, but still, get it together, True. man. Love, I love Giles' eye roll uh, at <laughs> this guy. But, like, uh-huh. even though we're in a very serious moment, Giles is like, oh, my God. And um, we get, so we get the word forever many times. We get the first occurrence of forever here. Don says, what if mom would have liked some other coffin better? Mm-hmm. She's the one who has to be in it forever. Forever. And, you know, that's like the first look at, I mean, we look at forever in so many ways in this episode. Uh, and I don't, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it as it goes on as well. But just to touch on it a bit, it's like death as forever. This show is a show that has dealt for a long time with life as forever. I think that there's, um, I, I talked a bit about this in the body with childhood and the loss of childhood, like childhood not going on forever. And I think there's some of that to Angel coming back. There's just a lot of different ways in which the episode looks at the concept of not only a linear forever, but sort of like circle of life forever uh, as mm-hmm. the, as it continues. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but before that, you know, something that we didn't talk about, Jenny, in the discussion of the body is that the scene that happens both in I Was Made to Love You and the body starts with Buffy picking up the card from Brian to Joyce. And um, she calls uh, Joyce, she calls her mom, flower getting lady, which is just like painfully ironic because she is referencing the fact that Joyce is getting flowers because she's gone on this date with this guy. But truly, Joyce is then getting, you know, all of these flowers because she's uh, not alive anymore. So yeah. when I forgot to mention that. And I think it's, it's sort of underlined in the beginning of this scene where Giles is talking about the price of flowers. Yeah, this whole scene with like the horrible mundane, mm-hmm. like all of the practical matters that have to be dealt with so exhausting uh also the fact that you know mr summers the summer's dad (gasps) totally absent numbers no good not getting in touch this really really sucks one beautiful moment in this scene that i that really sang to my heart was that (laughs) delivering a zinger from beyond the grave we learn joyce (laughs) didn't want to wake because she said potlucks are depressing enough as it is Seriously, Joyce. <laughs> Seriously. A zinger from beyond the grave is just a fantastic Jenny Owen Young sentence. Thank you for that. Um, I would like to, with your permission, play the patriarchy jingle for Mr. Summers, who is possibly the worst dad ever. Bad dad. The patriarchy! <laughs> Contrasting, of course, with Good Dad, who is helping Buffy sort out all of the details. He's taking the phone calls. He's thanking people for flowers. 
Giles is, I mean, he's been dad, but like in for me, this moment in the series is where Giles goes from like dad, capital D, lowercase a D, to dad. All caps. Yeah. All caps. With dad. a cape and there's like a fan blowing up <laughs> from the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Giles is rocking in this episode. We love to see it. Mm-hmm. Should we play um, Giles' jingle? Hit it. Giles, hot dad. When you were younger, you were real bad. But now you're older, you got glasses that help you watch over us. Thank you, Giles. So, Dawn is upset. And... Rightfully so, I will say, for our Dawn. Dawn is sort of the last one to find out about a lot. And I don't think that this is uncommon for sort of a family dynamic like this, where there's like an older sister of Buffy's age and a younger sister of Dawn's age. She is, Buffy's the one that Joyce talked to about funeral arrangements and made jokes about potlucks with. And Dawn is just feeling... Even if she weren't a mystical key, and even had she not found that out just a handful of episodes ago, she's just feeling like, she's my mom too. Why am I taking the back seat to all of this? Yeah, well, you know, it makes sense, of course. And maybe Buffy's just used to having the weight of the literal world on her shoulders all the time. But, Mm. like, Buffy is clearly exhausted and traumatized and maybe it's maybe it's good for her to have yeah i mean it's definitely good for her to have yeah. something to distract her but like it's so clear that she is it's not like buffy's in some position of power or something even though that seems to be like a little bit of the way that dawn is perceiving it that like buffy has more access or something right to right yeah and i I don't think that Buffy's doing anything wrong either at all. And I'm I'm very excited to get to the final scene of this episode because I I I identify with so much of the dynamic between these two and like what's said. But yeah, I think that, you know, they they both are going through something and as often happens, and I think that we talked about this in in our discussion of the body, the sort of um fact of death doesn't always bring people together. It often um can sort of like break people apart and you know that that doesn't ultimately happen here with Don and Buffy but in the beginning of this episode we're seeing ways in which that can happen in families uh that you just are missing each other in the way that you're processing yeah and feeling feeling this like dis- like Don's reaction to this discomfort and sense of distance is to say that she wants to go to Willow's after the funeral Willow feels this very diplomatically but mm-hmm. ultimately that's yeah. what's going to happen yeah So Willow and Xander leave the Summers household and they have this like fun exchange about like Willow's going to maybe check in and say, say hi to her mom. And Xander's like, I think I'm going to go say hi to your mom too. (laughs) (laughs) My family sucks. Uh, And who shows up? We missed you, buddy. We missed you so much. You're back. My favorite thing. My (laughs) favorite thing. Spike rolls up with flowers and Xander is a fucking douche nozzle. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people thinking Spike is doing things in this episode for credit. Uh, and this is the first occurrence of that. Spike is like, hey, fuck you. Right. The flowers are for Joyce. This is not about Buffy. She was decent. She treated me well. 
uh, I'm just observing uh, human custom, human decency custom. Yeah, uh, yeah. She always had a nice cuppa for me, he says. He does. And uh, <sighs> this disgusting display. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you you want to hate Xander. The scene is sort of set up for you to be like, Xander, come on, man. But in all honesty, like, let lest us not forget where we left Crush. Like, they are just doing what we've kind of been asking them to do for the entirety of this season, which is to remember that Spike is not on their team. Uh, and I think, you know, heightened emotions and all that stuff. Like, I, I actually don't fault Xander for much past his hairstyle in this scene. Oh, it's so um, bad in this scene. Ooh. It's a lot of hair, bud. I understand you've been grieving, um, but it's time to get a haircut, I think. Yeah. Just a little bit. Just not, not that it's I not need It's not like short. you're, I don't know, sheltering in place for two months or something, Xander. <laughs> get a haircut. <laughs> but on the flip side, this is Spike breaking our heart. This is like the fucking definition of Spike. It is the reason that like Spike is so dear to so many of us is because it's just like you want to hate him. He almost wants to hate him, but he has this like other piece of him that he can't figure out what to do with. And all he knows is that Joyce mattered to him and he needs to, like you said, Jenny, pay his respects. And it's very, very sad when he leaves and Willow is just like... There is no card. Like he wasn't doing it for Buffy. He truly was doing it for Joyce. William the poet strikes again. No. So this is the moment that I almost fell off my bed um, because of the gorgeous entry into the funeral for Joyce Summers. It is this like one long camera shot where Buffy is sitting on her, speaking of beds, Buffy is sitting on her bed in her room. Dawn is sitting on her bed in her room and these walls that I'm, I, I want to say we've never seen before, but I know all the, these photos in the yes. hallway we have not seen. Right. And it's all these like old photos. These are black and white photos. These are, we want to imagine grandparents, great grandparents, you know, the, the sort of summer's history going back in time. And there is just something so stunning about starting on those photos, seeing Buffy, the older sister, alive in her room in this house that has lost somebody. More photos, seeing Dawn alive in her room, somebody who has lost someone in the house. We were three, we are now two. And then sort of like fading right from that pan into the funeral. And it's just very, you know, unfortunately I can never say circle of life without like singing it in my head, which kind of undoes the <laughs> gravity of what I'm trying to say. But it is very, very like circle of life here of just, we lose people, people come into the world, we lose people, people come into the world, and that goes on forever, you know? Mm -hmm. So just chef's kiss to how we got into the funeral scene. Yeah, also... Xander's hair looks a lot better at the funeral. I know that's what this scene is not about. But <laughs> a beautiful, haunting piano theme here again. Thomas Wanker Vonker uh, just absolutely crushing it and it melts into strings as we're having like these sort of like fade in, fade outs from the overhead shot to close ups of, of different people's reactions. Yeah, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, um, very commonly read words at funerals, but also they have, I think, even extra meaning, especially ending on dust to dust, since there's this contrast. And the contrast exists for the whole episode as well of Buffy, what we knew, and Buffy, what she's dealing with now. We're in the cemetery. This is 
literally where the entire show takes place. And yet it feels that we are in not a that totally place new place. Yes, exactly. And because um, of the context, it's like Jen Malkowski was saying in your conversation with them that this show has served us up countless deaths that meant mm-hmm. nothing. And now here is one that means something. And it just turns the world inside out. Right, right. And we, I mean, you know, all these uh, metaphorical reasons of, of why it feels different and, and what have you, but also it's it's daytime. Um, and we don't go to the cemetery in the daytime. Um, we go there to kill demons. We go there to kill vampires. We go there when everybody can join us, all of our vampire you know, friends. Uh, and I can think of one time that Buffy went to the cemetery when it was daytime. What, when was that, Jenny? Well, there she was taking a test. <laughs> <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Oh, boy. Um, okay, so something else that happens during the funeral is that Buffy and Dawn are really, you know, painted in contrasting tones uh, very much. So Buffy pretty much has the same expression on her face for the entirety of the funeral. She is stoic. She is strong. I say that in quotes. Um, And Dawn, we see her crying. We see her sort of like turning away from the scene and burying her face in in like Buffy's neck. Um, Very, very uh, like emotional uh, in an outward facing way, whereas Buffy is just sort of like shutting it all down, holding it all together, needs to be there, needs to get shit done. That's her way. You ever just... (sighs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you and I, as uh, the hosts of this podcast, are entitled to unlimited (sighs) for this episode and the prior one. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So everyone, again, with the crossfading, right, we see the passage of time. Uh, Everyone's leaving one by one, two by two. Uh, Tara and Willow and Buffy and Dawn are left and Dawn goes over and says she's ready to leave. Tara is just, um, if you listen to the conversation um, last week that I had with Brittany Ashley, uh, Brittany talks about how, you know, Tara has been through this and so is able to sort of handle a lot of things much um, more smoothly than a lot of the other people here. Um, And you can see it again here, right? She comes up to Buffy and she says, do you need, do you need us to stay? This is what Dawn has asked for. We will do what you need as well. Like really just presenting everything clearly for this person who is standing at the grave Mm -hmm. of their mother. Uh, Mm -hmm. And Buffy stays for a long time. Yeah, she does. She stays long enough for this kind of effective filter fade day to night thing i'm there for it i'm here for it yeah it's like it's getting the job done uh (laughs) she just remains motionless for hours not peeing doing nothing i mean Uh, she could have peed we don't really know yeah i guess we'll never know uh and then we see her legs joined by a pair of large feet large feet that look somehow brooding <laughs> Somehow, um, even in shoes alone, we can sense the brood. Angel just rolls up right next to her and they this hold is hands. So beautiful and so wonderful for so many reasons. Uh, Angel returning. Of course, Angel is going to return. And I think, of course, Buffy is knowing that, or maybe she doesn't know, but there's just something in this that like I hadn't really explored on previous viewings where I was just thinking, and it's because of our conversations, Jenny, right? That like we've talked about how Buffy's in this headspace of 
you know, all the men in her life leave her. Her dad isn't at, her dad isn't at her mom's funeral. Okay. Um, she has just been left by Riley angel left. Like this is an ongoing theme. And so there's something incredibly powerful and healing about the fact that angel comes back like angel for, for all of his angelisms understands the value that they have to each other and understands that when it is a matter of life and death, everything else you put it to the side and you go there Mm -hmm. and you hold this person's hand like he does yeah good boy angel and of course um we never get to use it so uh, he i think stealthily entered the scene let's let's give him his jingle detective angel okay so i know that there are extenuating circumstances but when you were in college, did any of your friends have a 14-year-old come slumber party in their dorm room? <laughs> um, well, no, but my sister was 14, and I feel like it wouldn't have been out of the question for her to stay in our room with us. Hmm. You know, oh, yeah, like, didn't you get your sister drunk at college one time? Um, yeah, it wasn't. Yep, I did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was 18, Okay. You can't judge me now for what I did. Okay, so technically neither of you was of age. Right. So. She just was 12. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Moving right along. Uh, don't pause to look at 18-year-old Kristen's sins. Uh, we will go to Dawn, who is very angry. Uh, and, you know, Tara and Willow are, they're trying their best to sort of explain to Dawn. But I I want to, I feel very defensive of Dawn uh, in, in this entire episode. And I understand like why they are treating her the way that they're treating her. But I think that they baby, her. I think that everyone is babying her too much. And I don't think it's fair to her. I think that like she just lost her mom and was almost killed by a naked morgue pyre. Like she's a key, like talk to her like she is older than 12, you know, because she, I mean, she I is think, four, but I yeah. think Tara is fucking knocking it out of the park Tara, to make yes. a place for her in your heart. It's sort of like she becomes a part of you. Tara knows, Dawn. Listen to Tara. Yes. But everybody else Willow, treats her like a baby. Willow not doing a great job. No, I mean, Willow, Willow's obviously going through her own shit, right? Like, we we see that Willow wants to be there for Dawn, but I think Willow also wants Joyce back. Like, you know, it's, this is not just about being there for Dawn for Willow. There's, there's yeah. too much happening for her that I think that she's sort of threaded through this as well. Yeah, and all Tara and Willow want is to help and to want to do something. They, they want to make Dawn happy. And Finally, Dawn settles on something she'd like to do. She has an idea. I'd like for you two witches to bring my mom back from the dead. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, we're all in Sunnydale. It's not sure. that A shocking. follows B, follows C, sure. Yeah, like, of course, somebody is going to want to bring Joyce back. Like, one of the crew for sure was going to want to bring Joyce back. So is Dawn? Makes sense. And, um, you know, they are, we, we cut, but they're obviously like, uh, no, especially Tara. We'll get there. <laughs> Before we get there, let's talk even more about the circle of life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anya and Xander are doing it 
they are doing it in a way that is different than how they've done it before. And Anya says, it's because of Joyce. And Xander's like, mm? uh, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Do you think the first... Xander's like, I'm pretty sure I never told you about that dream. Right. I was going to say, do you think the first second Xander was like, uh, did you know about that dream I had where I was in the bathroom and Joyce was wearing red silk? Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, But yeah, Anya has this, you know, really uh, compelling sort of journey where she's piecing together that sex is not just two bodies smooshing together, uh, that like sex is something that can be bigger and grander and more intense because of its connection to life and therefore its connection to death. And I mean, God, if, if anything's going to make sex intense, I, I guess that's it. <laughs> it's pretty intense. Yeah. Anya, again, taking on the Taking the reins on the the big philosophy moments. Yeah. As we continue Mm -hmm. uh, to explore death and loss, this feels like appropriate and beautiful and, you know, poignant. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking about it because obviously, you know, as as queer women, I think there's or as as anyone who is perhaps having sex or has had sex in a way that could not result in a human life form. Um, I was thinking about it like, well, this is interesting and blah, blah, blah. And I came to the conclusion that like, regardless of your fertility, right? Like regardless of like what the outcome is, there is something about the act of this that still contains that power. And and you can disagree with me if you would like, but I just... I just felt like, yeah, this isn't really rooted in like heterosexual, um, fertile sex. This is just like the act of this has this connection to life, no matter what. I was not offended. (laughs) Great. No, and and past just being a, you know, I just was thinking about like this act and like, regardless of the bodies involved, you know, that like there is something rooted way back in our beings that I think connects it to something intense and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. monologue on doing it <sighs> thanks it's, it's not just about smooshing it's about life anya christina uh manuela um, manuela jenkins uh thank you very much for your wisdom tight yeah love stressed out xander what do you mean <laughs> making life right now no, and Anya's really good. She's like, she like laughs with him and she's like, not now. Like, you know, get your panties out of a bunch, Xander, and cut your hair. Um, we're not mm. having a child right this minute. I'm just telling you no. what I feel. Yes. You know who else is telling somebody how she feels is Tara in this next fucking scene. This is, listen, I am attract. If, if there are many versions of Tara, I am least attracted to eyeshadow Tara. I am most attracted to very, <laughs> very stern Tara. <laughs> You're most attracted to we don't mess with life and death, Tara. Yeah. I just love how fucking she is like rooted. This is kind of like how I feel when I'm like activated on like a queer topic I know I like I have a history with and I know a lot about, you know, it's like all of a sudden my feet sort of like root to the ground like a tree and I'm like, I got this shit. Tara has this shit. She's like, I can explain to you why we don't do it. I've got books on it. I've done the fucking research. (laughs) You know, she's, you don't mess with life and death. Yeah. Willow, wishy-washy as hell. Tara, very serious. Ultimately, they land in a we can't, it's too dangerous place. And Dawn 
huffs down onto her sleeping bag. Thank God that Willow has a dorm room that's all her own with a twin bed in it and then just a space where a twin bed would go, which is perfect (laughs) for a sleeping bag. Meanwhile, Tara has her like goth suite somewhere still with the gossamer like canopy hangings and whatnot and painted black walls somewhere on campus who knows don't forget the crystal dildo (laughs) i who could ever (laughs) so yeah i mean right willow wishy-washy willow is a great way of putting it uh she's sort of like well but well and tara is like not today (laughs) (laughs) uh but dawn picks up uh, an important piece out of this whole conversation which is so if they took an oath if wiccans took an oath not to mess with it that fucking means by my dawn logic that they can do it which is correct and um whoops probably shouldn't have let that slip but they Mm -hmm. did so she's on the case harriet the spy is on the case Uh um so the cemetery with angel this is a beautiful scene they are sitting together by the tree, and Buffy very poignantly says that she's worried more about tomorrow than anything else because this was the journey through, and now tomorrow there isn't a funeral to plan. There isn't, um, yeah. you know, like all of the arrangements have been made, so now what the fuck? And. Angel says, tomorrow the stuff of everyday living resumes. And David Boreanaz's line delivery on this is so, like, weirdly buoyant. Yeah. Yeah, he's very... I guess, you know, when you're told that you're, like, a 250-year-old vampire who had a soul and then didn't have a soul and then had a soul and then didn't have a soul and you've been through revolutions and you've killed people and you've been killed and you got to hell and you went... It's kind of a lot, probably, for an actor to sift through, try to figure out how to talk about death. (laughs) Yeah, I guess he's sort of like, well... Right, like... I've died and come back and gone to all kinds of hell dimensions, so... Right, eh. right. Uh, And... Yeah, this this conversation kind of like pivots, turns into the beginning of what we'll see played out really dramatically and beautifully at the end of the episode um, with Buffy saying like, people think I'm so strong. And I'd love to play a little bit of this monologue uh, that she has, Jenny, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Everybody expects me to know how to do it because I'm so strong. You just need some time. I'm sure everybody understands that. Time's not the issue. I can stick wood in vampires. But mom was the strong one in real life. She always knew how to make things better. Just what to say. You'll find your way. Mom was the strong one in real life. Whew, yeah. Oof. And this is, you know, I think it's really uh, notable that Buffy is not saying these things to anyone else. Like, this is why it's so important that Angel came back. Because I was just talking to somebody about, like, the first people that we fall in love with. um, And, like, what kind of roots they have in your psyche over, you know, forever. Like, it, it doesn't matter how far you get away from it. That first experience is just so rooted. And, uh, you know, I think that there's something so beautiful about the fact that those some of those 
ways in which Buffy was with Angel just immediately return for her and she knows she can be uh, weak. I mean, weak is, is maybe not the right word, but vulnerable, that, that she can be vulnerable mm-hmm. with him, that she can that she can be honest with him, that she can fall into his arms. And notably, this is something that she was never able to do with Riley. Now, I was just thinking that I wonder if because of everything that happened between Buffy and Angel, she was perhaps subconsciously reluctant to go back to that place with somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I'm kind of shocked that Riley, although I know he's in a jungle in South America or something right now, I'm kind of shocked that Riley didn't figure it out, find out, steal a helicopter. But, you know. I mean, and I think I think in the universe, in the actual universe, uh, Riley would have also come back. I think that just in the television universe, there's only so much. We've got for so many shoulders. I mean, how could you possibly? Especially when they're also broad, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Angel says to Buffy, "Like you are, you are strong, right?" And um, and he said he does some really incredible things here by way of support. He's like. Not he's not worried about anything except for being here for her. I can stay in town as long as you want me to. And then we get this word again, right? <laughs> How's forever? Um, you know, and, and she immediately, because she has an emotional intelligence about like sort of like where she is as much as possible, says, you know, that's obviously not possible. I'm I'm feeling very needy right now and what have you. But like the the want, the desire to have these arms around you to hold you this person who you can let go with this person who you feel safe with just wanting them to stay forever regardless of any of the consequences makes total sense Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then they kiss jenny i don't know how you felt but i was simply delighted to see such a wonderful passionate kiss on the screen because it's been (laughs) a while it's like (laughs) The kiss was okay, but I'm pretty sure both her boots stayed on. So (laughs) how good was it really? (laughs) Oh, God. I was just like, right, kissing. Look at that. Look at them go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you say that, but then it very quickly uh, ramps right the hell up. Mm -hmm. Angel's off to Boner Town. Buffy's like, you got to go back to L.A., bud. (laughs) And then just making us remember, so rude, I will remember you. Uh, you know, he's like, I have a few minutes until I have to go. And yeah. um, they sit there, you know, as the sun starts to come up. And we know that he's going to go back to banana Yeah. Yeah. Also, hey, speaking of melodies, I just want to say one more time. I can't believe beautiful. that you didn't give me more credit for just whipping no, that was, the angel theme. It was really great. And to your much to your credit, the melody of the angel theme is kind of obscure. <laughs> right? It's not like as intuitive and like singable as the theme for Buffy. So I salute you. Thank you. And I also salute Thomas Wanker Vonker uh, for <laughs> scoring this scene so beautifully. I think it's a callback to the Buffy and Angel theme, but his mm. rendering of it is so beautiful. Cool. Unless it's not a callback to that theme and it's something totally new and his rendering of this new thing is so beautiful. Sorry. <laughs> okay, whoa, 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 buckle up, oh my God. universe. We see Ben run into Jinx 
And Ben says, <laughs> Kristen, are you ready? Ben I'm ready. says, tell my sister I'm sick of running into her Jawa rejects. <laughs> Kristen, do you get this reference now? Yes, of course I do. I am a oh card-carrying card member of the Star Wars fan club. I, I can picture mm -hmm. their red little beady little glowing eyes and their hoods. <laughs> Uh, they're always throwing things off of things. They're in the sand. They're yeah. yeah. Of I think I they're do. they're cuter than the minions. Uh, they're well. I mean, to be fair, do we do we see full Jawa faces? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they they are cuter. cuter in their little robes. Yeah. So, but so maybe it's just maybe the minions should just keep their hoods up a little bit more often. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, this is a big deal. This is a tiny little moment in a big episode, and it's a big deal because Ben says, I would never do that to an innocent skirt. No! <laughs> ben! Ben, here's the thing. I'm not going to blame you, Ben, for slipping, but I'm going to blame you for not making sure that Jinx was yeah. dead. Dude. Commit. Commit. I mean, you're going to stab somebody. Stab them right, as I always say. I always say that, too. And for some reason, Ben just doesn't listen. <laughs> he says, do you understand how many people are going to die if she finds the key? Yeah. A little math here. Um, because this is this is like the most linear Ben to glory, glory to Ben situation. I feel like, like Ben leaves the hospital. Jinx has been sent by glory. By the time Jinx gets to the hospital, Ben is leaving the hospital. <laughs> Jinx is like, Ben... You can't biggity blah. I need to bliggity blah. Ben's like, boom, knife in the stomach. And then Jinx is like, oh no, and runs back to, hey, Glory's there. <laughs> I just, I just, there's a lot of switching, a lot, a lot of changing out of dresses, putting on scrubs, a lot of putting on scrubs. Shit, it just, that's all. <laughs> Hell, man. Anyway, Willow and Tara. Need to go to the dining hall. <sighs> We're headed to the dining hall where all the college students hang out. Would you, a 14-year-old, like to come be our dining hall buddy? I, you're very upset about a 14-year-old hanging out on a college campus. I don't think it's that. I just, have you seen what happens on college campuses, Kristen? Because <laughs> I have. I've done most of it. And it's no place for a 14-year-old. Especially one who just lost her mom. <laughs> It's just, I just feel like it's a marker of us continuing to age that like, like, mm. you know what I mean? Like, I just, I'm, I'm just looking out for you, Jenny. You're showing your, you're showing your stripes over here. How dare you? <laughs> okay. So they're leaving. Don's like, you guys go. I'm not hungry. I might not be here when you get back. And Willow abracadabras a book off the shelf for Don. She's straight up like Osseo history of magic. Yes, and, and 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 we have yet another amazing piece of score. This, this sort of like classic horror movie piano figure that actually kind of reminds me of I think the Never Ending Story. It's, <gasps> a, it's sort of like dun 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 dun. Ooh. That's the Never Ending Story figure, but I think the one uh, that happens here is is fairly close to that. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's it's very effective and and great. I just I just love this guy's work in this episode. It's it's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, I did. I I like want to watch it all over again because I feel like I didn't pay a very much attention to the score in this episode. So I'm happy to hear more about it. 
Uh, you know what else I'm happy to hear more about, Jenny, is Giles' feather duster. I keep watch on it. Sure. I always point out when we see it again, because the first time we saw it, it went into his teeth, uh, and I've never forgotten about it. So <laughs> oh, true. Is this the same one? I think this is a different one. No, it's the same feather duster. Mm. Don't. Do you think feather dusters do a better job than like a Swiffer duster? Literally, no. I've never understood a feather duster. I feel that they are not effective. It's like, don't feathers just seem kind of already dirty to you? <laughs> No offense to birds. <laughs> um, okay, before we get any further into Feather Duster territory, why don't we uh, hear a brief word from some of our sponsors? As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. So wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash realm hey there this is justin bartha i made a funny new podcast king of the egg cream it has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like lewis black i'm torn by my feelings for two women bobby cannavale you can eat it or if someone hits you you can put it on your cut Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Jenny, something else having to do with birds um, are chicken feet, which come up again in the magic box here with Anya. Well, they're a hot item. They are. They, um, they appeared first in our Buffy conversation with Anya and Willow way back. Uh, that was, I think, how we got Doppelgangland. Chicken feet? Remember? They were sitting in the classroom and she was like, chicken feet. They were fighting about chicken feet. But then they did the spell together and they made the Doppelgangland. <laughs> chicken feet have been around right. for a while. Okay. So um, Anya's feeling super threatened. 
by Don. I love is, it. Uh, gonna maybe take it. her job. Sure, for free. For free. And <laughs> Don is like literally Harriet the spying all over the place. Just like, so um, so where do you keep the oh my god of Dude. mom stuff? Uh, uh <laughs> hmm. Where um if I was gonna just to let me know where the most dangerous books and potions are so I can um, you know, stay away from them. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just so I could steer clear. Yeah, I just want to be really careful. Giles, come on, man. You should see right through this 14-year-old. Please. Also, Dawn literally, so Giles is like, uh, yes, the dangerous things are upstairs. So thank you so much for asking. And let me know if anybody needs anything, I'll handle it. And then Giles like goes into the back room and Dawn isn't even like, you'd think Dawn would be like, now I know where they are. I'll sort of like wait till I'll, there's a quiet time. I'll sneak in at night. I'll whatever. Yeah, right she now. She's just like, goes, I'll just pop, scurry right up this ladder. Giles, I just wanted to get a really good look at where all the forbidden items are so I could definitely make sure to stay away from them. <laughs> but, like, also there's something about um, the fact that, like, I would try to do it secretively. That probably would be me getting caught. I think there is something very bold about Don just being like, I'm doing it and I'm doing it fucking now. And I think to be a true, like, criminal, you really have to be minded like that. You know, you have to be willing to, like, jump right into the fire. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Anyway... Dawn gets the big book that she needs, which somehow she knows exactly where the fuck it is, uh, and a blue bottle that she puts in the bag and gets up and down those stairs without being found out. Incredible. Nice work. I love that she that she's just like looking at all bottles like, mm-hmm, not, not that one. Oh, it's this one. It's definitely this one. None of them are marked. None of them. They're just different colors and shapes. Maybe they were marked on the bookcase. Like maybe like there were labels like taped to the to the case itself. It said uh, look, looking for something to bring Joyce back? Blue bottle. Oh my God. <laughs> Need something? In Skyrim, every time you like bump into certain characters uh-huh. or if you like go into a shop, the guy will be like, Need something? <laughs> um, just, okay, just so, you know. so Dawn has snuck out to the cemetery. She's hanging out by the freshly um, uh, dirted gravestone. The freshly turned earth. Yes, the freshly turned earth. Thank you. And Spike is like, uh, hope it's just dirt that you're after because I fucking literally recognize that book. I know what you're doing and instead of telling on you, I'm going to help. Spike! I know. Uh, because as he says in the next minute, he can't bear to see Summer's women take it so hard on the chin. Yeah. Oh, God. Don also thinks Spike is trying to, like, do this to get in good with Buffy. And he's like, if you tell Buffy, I'll fucking make sure you end up in the ground. Mm-hmm. Little bit. Um, also, in the middle of these two yeah. spike Don scenes, there is... Just a scene of Giles listening to rock music that's parenthetically indicated by the closed captioning uh, rock music. It's not just rock music, Jenny. It is Tales of Brave Ulysses by Cream. And it is the same song that he listened to with Joyce in Band Candy before they had sex. <gasps> on the hood. Oh my God. Of the police car. You're welcome. Giles, you so, Giles. so why don't you go cry and you can let me know when you're ready to keep taping oh the episode. Oh my God, that's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> that 
that is deeply fucked up. I watched this and I was like, what a weird. He's listening to that music he likes again and <laughs> drinking scotch and like he's sad. But this just seems like such a non sequitur sort of like. Right. Just no, like a strange little moment. But oh, my God. How dare <laughs> yeah. they? Yeah, it's um, it's a lot, and it's. I think it's actually like so important. I mean, it's it's gutting, of course, but it's also I think really important because, you know, we talked about it a little bit in the body that like Giles is probably the singular character who is able to be both practically there and present for them, and also emotionally there for them, and I think that he is also the character that is equally impacted like Buffy is with the logistical needs and also the emotional weight. Ugh. Like he, we don't get to see the, that much of, of Giles's processing of the loss of Joyce. And we didn't explore too much of their relationship. Obviously band candy, it was a peak of like so much fun with the two of them, but they've yeah. been in each other's lives as the parental figure uh, for years. And, you know, Giles was doing babysitting. Like, Giles is part of this fucking family. And so yeah. this is a tiny scene, but I think I, I love that it's here um, to just give us a tiny little window into the fact that Giles is grieving too. Oh, my God. I'm, I have kept, I'm never as delighted as I am when I get to reveal something like Britney Spears. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but this was extra special. This was fun. Yeah. <sighs> Anyhow, Jinx is getting blood all over Glory's carpet. Uh, <laughs> dude, I love his uh, mortal wounds are, are uh, <laughs> cutting off his toadying at the knees. He's like, you're almost... <laughs> You, you, yeah, <laughs> the you good one. He's like, yeah, he cannot he cannot get a glorificus nickname in to save his life at all. Uh, no, but but he indicates that the key is innocent and Gloria's all hopped up on it. Oh my god, but she's and she goes from like zero to a hundred and a half second in this scene, she's literally pulling her hair out of her head, screaming, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, throwing a full tantrum about Ben. Do you think that Ben also lost hair in that? Like, what, how does that work? <laughs> I guess we'll have to wait until we see him next. Yeah. Uh, and then she is basically back to her jumping around celebratory self because now she knows it's not a bicycle pump, you know? That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can... Put all those bicycle pumps back. <laughs> yeah, you can stop testing them for their key DNA. Um, actually, DNA is a, a particular choice, isn't it? Because I, I had questions about this next scene uh, yeah. where we get the wonderful, the wonderful Joel Gray. Yeah, this, wow, this guy playing Doc, Joel Gray, uh, oh. he was in the original Cabaret. He yes. was the original, uh, like, wizard in yes, Wicked. Yes. He, like, what a what a storied history. And, like, usually I feel like James Marsters is, like, not that he's, like, acting circles around people, but I feel like mm. he's at, like, the top tier uh, yeah. with Sarah yeah. of, like, the, the great performances. And we've been seeing Michelle Trachtenberg turn in some really, really amazing stuff mm. recently. And to see this guy mm -hmm. just fucking, I mean... Michelle and James are doing amazing, but to see this guy come into the scene and just fucking like lap them 
infinitely. Like he's just so Ugh. fucking good. Like immediately we get like two minutes with this guy and you'll never forget him. He's amazing. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Uh, you Do you know who he is the dad to, Jenny? Oh, he's Jennifer Gray's dad, right? Yeah, nobody puts he's the, his baby in the corner. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, he's wonderful. And so they are there because th this guy is purportedly the guy who is going to tell you all the dark magic secrets that you need to bring somebody back to life. Um, and he, the reason that I connected this with DNA that I just said, um, not even on purpose, is because he sort of yanks a piece of Dawn's hair out of her head. Uh, and says, well, you know, based on looking at this piece of your hair, it seems like your mom would have pretty strong DNA, which gives you pause, right? Because it's like, what we've talked about it before. Like, what is Dawn's DNA? She's a mystical well, she's like key, but she's a person. So, just, right. you know, is is he seeing the strength of the Summer's DNA or is he seeing like key, key shit? Joel Gray is uh, humming a song, Jenny, uh, in this scene. It's uh -huh. uh, Peter and the Wolf. And I was wondering yeah. if you know the story of Peter and the Wolf. Gosh, I can't remember what happens. Well, why don't you, uh, maybe you should, you know, just see if you remember any. What do you think happens in Peter and the Wolf? Uh, is it like Red Riding Hood-y at all? Is it? I guess a little. There's a wolf. <laughs> okay. Oh, you're trying to prompt me so I can do one of my incredible retellings <laughs> of um, yeah. a story from the, the global course. canon. The minute um, I saw that yes. it was a okay, like, so, fairy tale, I was like, ooh, goody. <laughs> so there's a, a guy named Peter. Mm-hmm. And there's also a wolf. Mm-hmm. Now, does Peter hunt the wolf? I think so. Mm -hmm. Peter's hunting the wolf, but then it turns out that the wolf is actually hunting Peter. But then somehow Peter wins, <laughs> and we all live happily ever after. How'd I do? Um, and, uh, you know, and she sold all the matches and <laughs> lived happily. Yes. Yeah, I mean, so Peter uh, lives with his grandfather, and he goes out, and he leaves the gate open, and so the duck that lives there gets out, and whatever. I won't tell you the whole story, but essentially, Peter gets in trouble because he left the gate open. The duck is out there, and Peter's grandfather's like, yo, there's a fucking wolf, dude. Like, you can't fucking just leave gates open around here. Peter's kind of pissed, but then he sees the wolf come out, and he sees the wolf eat the duck from inside of the pond. And Peter's like, oh, fuck no. And so he like throws a rope out the window and he goes outside and he catches the wolf. And it's amazing because the whole village has been afraid of the wolf forever. And then somehow, I'm not exactly sure how this happens in the story, but um, everybody's really excited and they put the wolf in a zoo and have a victory parade. Uh, and there's also a bird and a cat involved. But anyway, the thing that I wanted to say, because obviously there's some thematic reason that we've chosen Peter and the wolf, right? In the story's ending, I'm reading the little description on Wikipedia, the listener is told, quote, if you listen very carefully, you'll hear the duck quacking inside the wolf's belly because the wolf, in his hurry, had swallowed her alive, end quote. So, you know, Peter and the wolf. Joyce, alive in the belly of death. Resurrector. Oh. Right? I don't know. That's what I thought. Right into oh. us at Buffering the Vampire Slayer 
at gmail.com and please correct any of my inconsistencies. I've not, I've not experienced Peter and the Wolf, but what I read, obviously, you're not a natural storyteller like some hosts of this podcast. Um, excuse me. I think that my render, I, I, you know what kind of storyteller I am really? I think that when I get really going on a story, I'm uh, closer in theme to like drunk history. Like I think that you uh-huh. could use my brand of storytelling to like put it over people saying the lines um, as I tell this. Anyway, you know what? The point is, it's here for a reason. We're your hosts, and sometimes we don't know everything. But like, just write us an email and tell us what you think the reasoning behind putting this fairy tale song in this episode. I was wondering if, based on what happens a little bit later, like right at the end of the scene, if perhaps this was to indicate that uh, Joel Gray's character is a wolf and Dawn is a duck. That better be careful. Mm, that makes more sense. <laughs> I like it both ways. Okay. <laughs> that is what she said. Ayo. Yo. <laughs> She's like, you got a bathrobe? Chill. You got a tail? Chill. Let's do this. <laughs> so Doc has a tail. Yeah. Uh, he also has loads of info about how to do this this spell. You need to steal a Gora demon egg from mm. a Gora demon, which is apparently very dangerous. You got to make a sacred circle. You got to put all the stuff in the in the center with a pic of your mom. If you need to reverse the spell, you got to rip up the photo. It might take time, but she will come to you. And she might be a little off, uh, just so you know. And Don says, she'll still be my mother, won't she? And he says... More or less. Yeah, he's so good at being so creepy. Oh my God, I love him. And yeah, yeah, then she offers him some money for the, you know, instructions. And he says, keep your money. And she mistakenly is like, sweet old man, you know, and he growls as he smiles and his eyes turn all black. Dude, terrifying. (laughs) So terrifying. So effective. Standing ovation for fucking Joel Grey. So glad you're here. Yeah. Really incredible. So they go to the Gora demon. I hate this scene. I'm so upset for the Gora demon. The Gora demon never did anything to anybody. It's just fucking laying down there with its three fucking heads and its babies. Why you got to fuck with it? I don't like it. I don't know how you feel, Jenny. Yeah, uh, I feel like the Gora seems to be keeping to itself right? down there in, in the sewers. Just like live and let Gora, as I always say. As you do, um, you always say that. And... <laughs> They have this whole bit where, like, Dawn's going to grab the egg and Spike's going to distract the demon. And it works. But then, oh, no, on the way out, Dawn <laughs> drops the egg. <laughs> yeah, Butterfingers Summers over here. And then <laughs> and then Spike's like, okay, it's too dangerous. Come back. What are you doing? And Dawn's already back in there. And then Spike gets bit in the torso. And this in this moment, I am Spike and the Gora demon is Frank who is teething and cannot (laughs) stop biting me and everything else. Oh, my God. I feel Spike's pain in this scene. Sorry, I just pictured Frank dressing up as a Gora demon for Halloween. I'm just saying. Well, yes, with a little graduation cap on top. Of each head. You have to make two Uh other Frank heads. Yes, of course. Um, but yeah, they get this egg and good for them. But I just, I just, every time I see this scene, I feel so sad for the Gora mom, you know, it's just like, she's just, she's just trying to look out for her babies and they're so mean to her and they like put an ax in her. I just, you know, justice for Gora. I'm sure she makes a full recovery though. Yeah, she probably does. It's real Um, tough. And, and also like, where do all the Gora demons go? Cause there were a lot of eggs in there. So if they're all having eggs and the eggs are hatching into more Goras. So anyway. Moving right along, 
Is this Dawn's blood that she's making a circle with? Because it's a lot of fucking blood if it is. Oh, fuck. It's a lot, right? And I was like, um, that's a lot of like bright red blood. And I don't, I don't know if it's supposed to be hers or if it's supposed to be from like the innards of the Gora egg or like what, but. Or maybe it came from that jar that she eyeballed. Oh, yes. Maybe it did. Uh, Jenny, before we get too far past the eggs here, I just wanted to say that I think that these eggs might be considered. Hell yeah. It's been a while since we saw some Uh, bad eggs. Here they are. Just a sampling of our song from season, who knows, episode, who knows, bad eggs. Uh, speaking of, uh, speaking of eggs, um, you know, there's some of them are bad in this episode and some of them are some good. Them are Willow good. is nice. really, really into Tara's eggs, if you know what I mean. Oh. <laughs> um, yes, Willow has started a breakfast journal. <laughs> She's like, I don't, I need to remember everything about my entire life because I've just realized <laughs> that I could also die. It's like, Willow, you're going to. Eventually, this journal is going to be a snake eating its own tail because she's going to be writing about how she just spent an hour reading about all of her breakfasts. <laughs> so she, right, she's recording her bagel or whatever she had, and she remembers that <laughs> Tara had eggs uh, over easy because she remembers that they were wiggling at her like little boobs. Uh, great, li- nice. great line. Thank you, Marty Noxon, for. That line, thank you, Allison Hannigan, for that delivery. Um, Tara uh, uh, catches a whiff of a a book slot open on the shelf and is like, Yes, and what has happened? She's like, What, where's that book, History of Witchcraft? And Will is like, What book? Do we have a book? Oh, we have that book, of course. Yes, but wait, (laughs) it's not there. Where could it be? I certainly don't know. Do you? Well, I was like, a book? What is a book? Does it have pages and print? I have never heard of such a thing. Ah. <laughs> She's, uh, I mean, it's been a minute since we got a really good, like, Willow lying moment. So I'm yeah, very, very I'm happy excited. to see it. I missed, I missed this horrifying display. God, Allison Hannigan does a lot of things right, but her her rendition of lying willow has got to be among the top achievements it's very good so they immediately come around thank god to let's just call buffy and tell her what's what um but of course they only have some of the information um they only have the information about what she's doing they they actually don't have the information of how to stop it only dawn has that information and spike i guess and joel gray yeah okay so Tara makes a call. At the end of this scene, at the beginning of the next scene, we see Buffy come home and answer the phone. The phone is ringing. It's Tara. Oh, my God. <laughs> then she runs into the room where, where, uh, or then Dawn comes down the stairs. No, no. Buffy goes into the room where Dawn okay. is. Buffy goes into the room and is like, what have you done? Who knows what you raised? Tara told me people come back wrong. Yeah. Ooh. And this scene... Uh, I would like you to know that the zombie Joyce legs are not played by Christine Sutherland. Um, I didn't think so. They seemed off. Right? They, yeah. And, um, but this, in a good way. Like in yeah. a convincing way. This moment of seeing her like little feet shuffling across the grass 
reminds me, and I think has always reminded me of this, Jenny, um, reading Neil Gaiman's American Gods and right in the beginning of that book, um, the, the character's wife, he has sort of, either he's resurrected her, somebody's resurrected her. And it's, mm. it's just so vivid in my mind, that scene, and it reminds me of this visual of this person who, just like Joel Gray said, is uh, a little off. Um, and she is she has gotten out of her grave and she is walking towards the house. And this is um, a pivotal moment for Dawn and Buffy. It is the moment that their paths finally collide. And it's because Dawn is finally saying what she feels. And that breaks open in Buffy the ability to say what she's truly been feeling. They finally access each other on an equal plane of loss and grief and pain, you know, um, and it's, it's so beautiful. Don, I've been working. I've been busy because I have to. No, you've been avoiding me. I'm not. I have to do these things because, because when I stop, and she's really gone. And I'm trying. Don, I am, I am really trying to take care of things. But I don't even know what I'm doing. Mom always knew. Nobody's asking you to be mom. Well, who's gonna be if I'm not? Huh, Don? Have you even thought about that? Who's gonna make things better? Who's gonna take care of this? Ugh. This is why they—they've just been missing each other like ships in the night, looking for different things from one another. You know, Buffy is just barreling through, trying to adhere to what she always does, which is what needs to be done, right? Right. right. And Dawn is just looking for a sense of family mm. when in the wake of losing their mother, right? Mm -hmm. And and Buffy just like, you know, is being crushed under the weight of these questions like, what are we going to do? Who's going to take care of us, you mm. know? And they finally are able to reach across this void and, and touch just mm. as the knock comes at the door. Oh, and God. this moment is amazing because right at this moment like dawn has gotten what she needs like she knows that she still has a sister yeah and buff but at the same time buffy is faced with the reality of whatever version of my mother dawn brought back is at the door right now she's reduced once again mm -hmm. to mommy she's yeah. reduced back to this this childlike oh god my mother can i yeah run to her and as she runs to the door thank god like their total role reversal right like Ugh. dawn responsibly just in the nick of time rips the photo buffy opens the door there's nothing there and there's nothing there and they the way that michelle trachtenberg and sarah michelle geller execute this last moment of she's i have the i like literally have full body chills right now right because mm -hmm. she's gone she's gone you know, forever in, in this sense again, but right. This is, the, this the, is the final occurrence of she's, forever as a concept. And it's, episode. and it is, I think for, you know, we watch these episodes now, most of us as people who have seen them already, but this also, I think as an audience watching the show is when you realize 
that Joyce is gone forever. Magic For isn't going to bring her back. We're really doing this. We are really doing this. And Buffy and John just hold each other and collapse on the floor. And they are sobbing like a million years ago when I was in college, I did a performance. I was a theater major and I did a performance of Electra, and I was just in the chorus. But the people who played um, the lead roles, they actually came from Greece. It was like this really cool State University of New York exchange, which was cool, whatever. That's besides the point. They really got deep with us on like Greek tragedy and they weren't afraid to like reach down to these, I'm going to use the word like animalistic, even though I feel like that's even cheapening what I'm trying to say, but these like guttural cries. Um, and I remember in that production, the woman who was playing Electra just like crying to the point on stage where like snot would like fly out of her face, you know, which, but it was so effective. It was so devastating. And it was just like the complete loss of yourself in grief. These calls that like go back centuries upon centuries upon centuries of I have lost what I love and this sound comes out of my body. Like that is what we see in this final scene with the two of them collapsing. It is so devastating and so powerful and like also so like hopeful for them because they are, they have each other in the doorway, right? They're not alone. They're together. Mm -hmm, uh, and mm -hmm. that's really beautiful too. But yeah, God, give me something fun or funny. I got to like, what can we be done now? <laughs> well, almost there's just one last detour we have to take. Come with me. Get in the car. Let's ride together down Innuendo Avenue all the way to the Sexual Tension Awards. <laughs> Award. For your consideration, in the first slot, uh, we've got Anya and Xander because they actually had sex. Yeah, they had circle of life sex, baby. They had circle of life. We're part of something bigger than ourselves type sex. So <laughs> that's what you're into. Vote number one. Uh, then in the second slot, a, a pod fave, a listener fave, a hope and love spring eternal from this deep, dark font. It's Buffy and Angel. If you ever wanted forever, you got it right there with those two, everybody. Mm -hmm. Slot two, Buffy and Angel. Uh, in the third slot, uh, we have, of course, how could we leave them out? Willow and Egg Boobs. That's Willow and Egg Boobs in slot three. But she was really into them. They were wiggling at her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And um, in the fourth and final slot, uh, we have, we always love a thruple. Um, and you know what I love to see is the, the love, the long sustaining love uh, that springs eternal from a thruple that has one shared body, three heads, and can still procreate the Gora demon. The fourth option for your voting is Gora, Gora, and Gora. Oh my God, is the Gora demon just down in there in the sewers like... Uh self-producing eggs i think the without a demon is doing that thing we talked about that sometimes sharks do you know ah. they just sort of like boop out another little shark clone boop that's the, that's what it's called booping mm. <laughs> <laughs> well um i think nobody checked the science on that last bit but um 
If you'd like to participate in our beautiful, sexy democracy, you can find the Sexual Tension Award poll for this and every episode. On our Twitter account at BufferingCast, the poll will be live for one week. Cast your vote and make your voice heard. Woo! That has been your Sexual Tension Award. All right. So we're coming around the bend. We've finished the episode-ish. We have done sexual tension words. But I, I just, I know that you did me the great favor, Jenny, of cheering me up after I got sad uh, with the sexual tension words. But I want to say um, something. And I, we talk we talk about this. This is Buffy. This is the core of Buffy. But I do just want to like talk for a minute about this experience that she has that I know I identify with and I think a lot of our listeners probably identify with maybe you do I'm not sure you can tell us but this idea of the fact that like she's being asked to hold so much stuff right she has to keep it together so she she does the the thing that she's being asked to do keep it together but then the world sort of looks at her like she's okay you know and she's like I'm not okay I don't know which one to do like I I'm supposed to hold it together but I'm not okay but if I tell you I'm not okay then I'm not holding it together and it's this sort of like dyad that she's always in uh which is why I think she breaks so hard in this last scene is that she isn't okay but she's not allowed to remind people that she's not okay that doesn't really exist in her world um and I think that a lot of us you can say for Buffy that perhaps that's literally true but I I think that for Buffy as well it's a bit self-imposed and I know that for for me and for probably a lot of our listeners it's self-imposed right you think that you have to hold it together um, and then you don't know how to ask for help when you need it Um, and I think that this scene is just such a great example of that break and the fact that like often when you do break there is somebody there that's going to catch you it's just real hard to get to that break sometimes Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm so those are some of my personal feelings. Um, <laughs> 10 out of 10. On. Great episode. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow, indeed. Um, and oh, just a huge uh, thank you to everybody who kind of journeyed with us through the body and, and you know, got us thinking about grief and death and um, I don't know. It's been a, it's been a good journey, and it's been really nice to do it together with you, Jenny, and together with all of our wonderful listeners. Um, oh, and yeah. now we get to jaunt off into the grand unknown. What the hell is going to happen in the rest of season five? Holy shit! No idea. <laughs> well, I know what happens in the next episode, but and I'm really excited <laughs> the next about episode, it. But... <clears throat> the next episode, literally, uh, here's what I will say. This is not a spoiler, but I will tell you that. Jenny, all you have to do is ask Jenny to describe what happens in the next episode, and she bursts into uncontrollable tears, like happens to no other episode, including the body. I've never seen you cry so hard. Let the artist work. (laughs) So so see you uh, in a few weeks uh, with our discussion of intervention. Till then. I'm Jenny Owen Youngs, and when I'm not watching Buffy, I am writing songs and recording songs. You can learn more about me at JennyOwenYoungs.com. You can give me a shout on Twitter, at Jenny Owen Youngs. You can listen to me talk about another blonde petite protagonist over on my other podcast, Veronica Mars Investigations. You can listen to my latest EP, Night Shift, on all digital platforms. And if it's not untoward to say so, uh, this month is the 11th anniversary of my second album, which is called Transmitter Failure. And to Aww. celebrate 
Uh, I'm doing a little streaming show uh, for all my Jenny Owen Young's patrons. So if you happen to be one of those people or you want to get on board even just like for one month, I'll be doing a a live stream show of all those songs on May 26th, which I'm really looking forward to. Oh, that's so fun. Are you going to cut bangs for yourself before you do the streaming? Maybe I'll get a bangs wig. (laughs) Maybe I'll cut myself some quarantine bangs. 11th 11th anniversary of transmitter failure and 11th anniversary of the most ferocious Jenny Own Young's bangs you've ever seen in your life. Ferocious. (laughs) That's so fun. Um, I am Kristen Russo. I don't have any 11th anniversaries coming up, but I do. <laughs> uh, I do some other stuff besides uh, watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer and talk about it here on Buffering the Vampire Slayer. You can learn more about me on my website, kristinnoline.com, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. Use that spelling to also find me on Twitter and on Instagram. I do a lot of work with LGBTQ communities, uh, middle school and high school GSAs. It's a whole thing. Um, I also have another podcast that I do on Patreon. It is just available for our patrons here at Buffering the Vampire Slayer and the patrons over at the Storm podcast because I do it with Joanna Robinson. It is called Feels Like the First Time and I watch movies I have somehow never seen before because they are iconic and classic. And then we talk about them one at a time. It's been very fun. Hell yeah. Buffering the Vampire Slayers on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at BufferingCast. You can email us at BufferingTheVampireSlayer at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at area code 216-30-BUFFY. You can support the work that we do here. Many of you do. Thank you so much. Uh, By going on over to BufferingTheVampireSlayer.com. Just click on Patreon. Uh, Join our Patreon family. There's a lot of things happening over there these days. Uh, The podcast that I do with Joanna, you get advanced music. We're doing, we're just learning how to do Zoom hangouts now. There's some fun shit. Uh, So join us, if you will. It's fun for you and wonderful for us because it keeps us keeping on. You can also go to our store, also found on that website. uh, Purchase yourself a dad hat or a baby onesie or perhaps a beer stein with an alewife on it. (laughs) There are a lot of choices for you. Uh, If you don't want to spend any money, we get that too. You can go to iTunes and rate and review us. And um, till next time. Uh, Uh, Woo! Joy Summers Forever.
Hi, I'm S.E., one of the hosts of Bitches on Comics, the most welcoming place for LGBTQ plus folks and women to chat comics, fiction, and pop culture. Bitches are both wanted and encouraged on our podcast. We speak with amazing guests about the media they've created, critiqued, and loved. And you don't have to just take our word for the great time we're having over here. We've been named a Best Comic Book Podcast by several publications, including Book Riot, The Mary Sue, and Comic Book Herald. So tune in and listen to us talk with your faves like Carmen Maria Machado, Amy Chu, Mari Naomi, Anthony Oliveira, and many, many others. Our whole goal is to include more folks in the comic book and pop culture world and to help new readers find comics and speculative books they'll love, with no shade for being new. You can find Bitches on Comics wherever you get your podcasts, and you can learn more at bitchesoncomics.com.